welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kraus, licensed professional counselor. If you've been listening to this podcast for any number of episodes, you'll know that I'm a big fan of music. I believe that music is something that tells stories, uh, it speaks to the soul, it brings people together, and it can really help people through uh, emotional difficulties and also help us celebrate the good times, among other things. So if you are wondering about my music episodes, you can check back at the list of podcasts and see the ones that I have about music. They're pretty easy to identify. I'm very excited to bring um, two subjects that I really enjoy together today, which are philosophy and music, as today's interview is with Cameron Blake. Before we get into the interview, I do want to make an announcement that is a little bit new. I am now... EMDR certified, which is a new level of certification, and I'm going to be an EMDRIA consultant in training starting in March, and I'm going to be starting groups for EMDR clinicians who want to get their consultation hours. As I am training right now to be a full-time consultant, I can provide 15 of the 20 hours needed to become EMDRIA certified. And I will provide details about that and how you can get involved in the show notes. So feel free to send me an email if you're interested. Now let's get to the interview. Michigan-born Cameron Blake is most passionate about engaging with the parts of us that are fragile and vulnerable. That is reflected most deeply in his songs, which have touched the hearts of people all over the world. Ranging from gospel-fired, high-energy roots rock to introspective folk, Cameron's music is as diverse as his personal story. He began composing and playing the violin at the age of 12, a talent that would eventually culminate in a master's degree from the Peabody Institute of Music in Baltimore. Compassion, curiosity, and a fair share of burnout took him beyond the walls of the practice room and out to the street, where he regularly worked and communed with the poor, sharing what he experienced from the starting point for a new career as a singer-songwriter. He taught himself piano and guitar, quickly immersed himself in the Baltimore music scene, and took his individual brand of chamber folk on the road. After meeting the love of his life and moving back to Michigan to raise a family, Cameron's artistry bloomed into full maturity with the release of Alone on the World Stage from 2015. Recorded with nothing more than voice, guitar, and the occasional piano, the record garnered international acclaim for its subject matter, a heart-rending, poetic, and poignant picture of the issues that face the world we live in today. His keen eye for detail and skill for getting inside of characters to reveal flesh-and-blood human lives continued with the release of Fear Not in 2017, a lush, masterfully orchestrated album that tackles the complex subject of fear. The album has earned praise from the likes of the Huffington Post, No Depression, and Paste Magazine in the United States, and was released throughout Europe on the Netherlands-based record label Continental Song City in 2018. If you've seen him before, you know that Cameron's performances leave a lasting and emotional impact. Whether it's performing as a frontman or a soloist, or in a sold-out amphitheater or an intimate club, Cameron gives himself fully to his audience, described as brilliant by the Baltimore City paper, impressive by local spins, and beautiful by the Washington Times. Cameron's soulful baritone voice, powerful lyrics, and physical presence make him one of Michigan's most original and compelling live performers. All right, let's hear the interview. Sometimes I wake up and I'm gripped with fear. That I pay the bills, that I leave the ashtray 
my mind's a warehouse worry when my heart's in disrepair This Sunday morning felt the body and blood Heard the children singing Gloria Just been thinking about how Sally Would have held her head and sung along The healing begins as slow as thought of course Crawling under my skin like a fisherman took Oh Lord, I've been looking down the barrel At a chamber of the human heart We took the road with all the bends We buckled down until the highway all right, Cameron Blake, thank you so much for being a guest on The Intentional Clinician. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. And uh, so I wanted to tell the listeners a little bit about how this interview came about. So I've already read your bio, and people can find that in the show notes. Uh, but basically, my friend Ben just said, hey, I'm going to this concert on Saturday at this place called The Listening Room, which is this new venue in Grand Rapids, which is... Um, basically a place where you're supposed to listen and not be on your phone and not yell and it's a very quiet nice atmosphere and i said okay let's go and i had no idea who the artist was so then you were the artist and i was basically blown away and then i was like where where is he on tour from like what's going on you know and my ben ben uh, my friend said uh, no he's from grand rapids or he's living here now and so then I was very impressed. So I said, well, then I have a chance. So I emailed you the next day and said, would you be on my podcast? And then you said yes. So, Yeah, that's how it all happened. Um, that show was super fun because, you know, it was, it was basically the second week that that venue had just been open. And so it felt like there was sort of a christening happening with our band. And, um, yeah, I think we were the first ones to sell it out. So thanks for contributing to it. Absolutely. It was wonderful and i was i was really moved um by your music you know going in blind i was just kind of expecting a folk artist or something and what i saw was a mixture of all types of different music world music gospel folk rock music for lack of a better word kind of almost theatrical Mm -hmm. um music and that was cool and then i was thinking okay well what's the content and then i was hearing poetry philosophy existential themes humanistic themes spiritual themes and also um reflection on the entire zeitgeist of what's happening at any given moment either personally i heard a lot in a lot of the songs but also just like collectively um if if, for the world or united states so i was very impressed with that um can you tell me a little bit about before we go into maybe your musical background about your your lyrics and your your thoughts about how you compose these types of songs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I always go back to the Woody Guthrie quote about how you know the artist's role is to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed, <laughs> and so I, I've I've sort of had that in the center of my mind as I write lyrics. Um, you know, this sort of cliche thing is you're always writing from personal experience. But I also feel like there's certain universals that you can sort of tap into. And um, particularly in regards to political life and the times, I feel like you can get away with saying things through art that you can't necessarily always say from a podium. And um, so I don't have necessarily an agenda with my songwriting. Um, 
but I but I do find that um, there's growth, you know, as people as people listen to it and experience it in their own way. Um, people often come to me how they feel often changed, and um, I guess I I just get tremendous. Uh, that just makes me feel really really good. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was actually listening through your back catalog before the new album is coming out, and I was actually thinking about that because. Um, I've been to concerts of like protest artists or maybe an anti-protest artist, you know, before who's very much like toe the status quo. And if you're not, you're crazy and radical. And I, I was listening to the lyrics of a lot of your past uh, couple albums. And I definitely did not feel like you were taking a stance. I felt like you were reflecting and digesting and processing the emotions kind of from both not a black and white uh, perspective but kind of just a thoughtful this is how I feel about it and this is what what I'm seeing from it and so I think that's why the songs are so powerful because it felt like more of a story and more of a an overview of here's what I feel like is going on or or here or some of the songs are written from a perspective it seems like of a of a character maybe mm-hmm. not yourself um, definitely it seemed like it uh so I like that, and I really feel like I'm excited for the listeners of this podcast to dig into your back catalog and your new album because I think, you know, I felt changed about a few subjects, you know, and I was like bringing me up, and I was just kind of struck. I think also the live element was useful, but I do think you know with headphones these days and the quality of things and streaming services and or you know buying it from the website, you can really, really get into it. So I was just curious. well, you're, you're writing from your personal experience, but do you, I'm just curious, what else, I mean, maybe this is a story about the new album, but sure, maybe how you, how you decided to write such, um, especially with the new album, because I've read the lyrics, even though it's not out, right. very, some of the songs are very jarring and emotional and mm-hmm. intense, so could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I know that you're a, you're a sort of specialist in regards to trauma, and I'm not sure the actual definition of trauma. I'm, um, I think that, you know, I was going through a, a period that at least felt like trauma. Um, my wife and I had lost, you know, I had two miscarriages in a short period of time, um, and family conflicts and just sort of everything happening all at once. And um, I had had this retreat at a Trappist monastery, at Thomas Merton's monastery, sort of looking at me on the calendar as I was going through this this terrible time. So it's kind of like the worst time to leave, to go on a f- silent retreat for a week and just unplug and be, be gone from your family in the midst of all of this stuff. Um, but it was also sort of the best time to leave as well for me personally, because I was able to sort of re-energize and to come back into my life um, with new perspective. And so, um, yeah, so I'm driving down the road to Kentucky to the Abbey of Gethsemane thinking, what on earth am I doing? Like, why am I leaving during this time? But the monks had, I'd booked it out, you know, five months prior and I went and I arrived and, um, sort of between doing a, you know, an entire liturgical day that starts at 3.15 in the morning and ends at 8 p.m., you know, multiple services through the whole day. And, uh, you know, through reading and just sort of tapping into myself and my soul, um, these songs came out. And so this little old monk, the only talking I heard all, all week was from, you know, this little old monk who basically said, we all need to have an outlet, you know, a place to sort of express 
our anger and frustration and whatever so that we don't become our anger and frustration. And he sort of pointed us to the Psalms and said, look at, you know, this is more, this is actually more about sort of the human heart than sort of, you know, the heart of, of God, so to speak, in this context. And so he kind of, I, I felt like I just needed permission and it felt like a safe place to explore. And, um, the songs just sort of came within that week, you know, 11 songs, every song in this record and, um, long hours. And yeah. So, I, so, I, you know, here I am writing in a silent monastery, these very noisy, I don't want to say angry, but just, um, you know, one of the songs, how dare you? I, I, I think that that was sort of the, uh, the feeling of, of that week. Um, however you, you know, uh, not giving up your power is 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 a powerful thing, and I was sort of tapping into some some buried power. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it was very fruitful, and it was interesting that you're writing these lyrics and maybe a little bit of the music at a silent retreat, which is interesting because you're not supposed to talk, right? Well, and it was in a super peaceful environment. Oh, I mean, okay. the weather was was extraordinary, and you're hearing bells go off and you know, beautiful singing around you from the monks and everything. Um, but then I was in a, you know, we were, my family and myself were, were in a lot of pain. And so I think, I think that that juxtaposition, um, there was something really penetrating about that as well. Wipe that oil from your cheek, North Dakota, cause Uncle Sam is striking up the band. Roll that penny in the street, North Dakota To the wishing well in the bottom of your pan Walk against the one-way streets in North Dakota As a lonely boy still shooting up a can Raising kids like raising hell in North Dakota With the pioneers before it all hit the fan Take your time undressing me mm, Take your time to stare And beat your swords into plowshares North Dakota Till the oil flows like honey through the land Songs out here in North Dakota For the unemployed and the uninhibited man Well, I can't find a bit to chew in North Dakota Only lilies blooming in the cold black river sand Take your time undressing me mm, Take your time to stare Beat your swords into plowshares, North Dakota, where the oil flows like ribbons in your hair. It's your personal experience, so I can definitely see that. And also just in the lyrics of the even the globe more global, I don't know, reflective songs such as the Chemical War Child song. Right. Um, you're writing about the Syrian conflict. 
I was uh, wondering if you would read a little bit of that, if, if you're open to that, Absolutely. and then maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the inspiration. But I think we should read a little bit of the lyrics first before you explain it. Sure. This is Chemical War Child. Have you met my shining black-haired girl? Her name's Aleppo. A dahlia hiding in her curls. My shining black-haired girl, Aleppo. Have you met my dreaming black-eyed boy? His name's Aleppo. A body washed up on the shore. My dreaming black-eyed boy, Aleppo. It's anesthetizing. A proxy war. A Trojan horse. Now I don't hear you anymore. Down here in the rubble. Black hair in the rubble. Black eyes in the rubble. My chemical war child. New moon is lying low and black over Aleppo. No shadows crawling from their backs. No light in Aleppo. It's anesthetizing. A proxy war. A Trojan horse. Now I don't hear you anymore. Down here in the rubble. Black hair in the rubble. Black eyes in the rubble. My chemical war child. It's the hour when it goes to black over Aleppo. I wrote this song sort of as a... Uh, I was listening to um, Bob Dylan, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, which is all questions. And um, I just thought about, you know, personifying this city in Syria that's making the news constantly. And we see it sort of ramp up, and then we don't hear about it again. And then we see it sort of ramp up. And um, a couple records ago, Alone on the World Stage was sort of my humanizing political stories, humanizing people, um, which is a way, to, again, to talk about politics without polarizing, is you humanize the, the characters that are in the midst of this terrible event. And, um, yeah, so I think just sort of cueing into the reference to to black, constantly sort of bringing you back to that, and that that's this experience sort of, you know, walking through war and um yeah, i don't know what else i can really say about it yeah i think that kind of covers it and i think often the anesthetizing anesthetic can i say that correctly yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky it's a right? tough word but we'll, we'll <laughs> pretend i pronounce that correctly but um i feel that's the interesting part about we're in the u.s reflecting upon some proxy war you know on the other side of the world and um and how you know we're not feeling it you know we're, it, we're just seeing the images and we're not and then we we get inundated with that for a week or two and people start a fund and maybe we try to help people and then it just goes away and what's the next thing in the news is is, is that what i was hearing by the anesthetizing like there's like too much or is that i was just yeah, curious yeah, i mean it's your song but i was just yeah. that's how i felt about it I yeah was I, I think definitely i think that that's definitely true I also feel like we we live in such a like a tie a little bow around everything sort of culture and even even in that sense um we we like to anesthetize so I think that there's some value in just saying you know this is this is truly terrible and are we going to to dig in and look at it closely put a magnifying glass on it or are we going to constantly sort of turn our heads so there'd some be some people that don't even believe it to be sort of a proxy war by definition, you know, or don't see it, you know, clearly as, um, you know, sort of a game of chess. 
And, um, and why is that? You know, because I think that the simple answer is often in its own way an anesthetization of, of what's, of what's going, because it's not simple. Um, except the simple reality of families being torn apart, you know? Um, so it is, it's dark and it's even comfortable right now, you know, talking about it right here with, you know, my fancy tea and sitting on this plus cows, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't yeah. mean that we need to sort of like lacerate ourselves, but I think that the artist has, has the ability to, to dig into some of these topics in a really meaningful way. I love that you said that. I almost have no comments because my only comment was reiterating what you were saying, which is the simple answer narrows it down and lets us file it away. Mm-hmm. And the, the the realization is that it is complicated, and it's as complicated as anybody listening, their family life or their personal troubles, but we're talking about a war that is yeah. killing people and ravaging a city. And, um, you know, I think... We come from a culture that's glorified war because of our World War II win. There's a t-shirts that say back-to-back World War champions I see on 4th of July. And it's sort of like, it's such a narrow definition until you talk to people that were in the war. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had grandfathers in the war and I had relatives in Germany on the German side that were terrified and didn't want to be in the war and mm. you know surrendered to the u.s allies as soon as possible and learned english and and it just and then all the micro stories that come out of this are are complicated and and in many ways horrific and so i think the tie a bow on it is the history channel uh you know sort of saying well we've victoriously won and it's this kind of celebration which okay i guess that's great that we defeated hitler obviously but what about like everyone that died and and so in this situation which is just not black and white. It's not a good versus evil, uh, you know, simple answer. And so, and then also as the artist, you, you were singing the song and it was just like uh, the melody. I mean, I, I think I'll save this one for people to listen to when they get your album. But I mean, the way you sang it and the melody, it was just like I was seeing the, the conflict in my brain. Mm. Like I was visualizing it and it was like very... You know, it's yeah, it's like a wake up. Like, there's, we can't solve every problem, but wake up there, you know, to the suffering, to this trauma that's going on right now. Yeah, so that's well, and, and Thomas that. Merton, I mean, uh, said that the root of all war is fear. And so, with my last, with with my last record, sort of really exploring fear, you know, macro, micro, personal, universal. Um, what what that sort of what that sort of me- means and and this I mean at, I think in this project I I had more of the sense of don't clean it up <laughs> oh I see because fear your last record was called fear not right and there's it's really beautiful there's definitely some f- I think a song I can't remember which one it was where it sounds like you're fearful but mm-hmm. there was a lot of really positive like I don't know I felt positive listening to it right it was kind of like well, things are scary, but I guess fear not, you know, it was like that really kind of comforting. Sure. A couple of your songs are very comforting to me. Yeah. I think if Queen Bee was on there, is that one on there? Oh, yeah, yeah, the big gospel The gospel flair. song. Yeah. And then the the Wailing Wall, was that on there too? Mm-hmm. And that was just beautiful, even though it was like all this pain. It was kind of like peace. You know, when, you make, when you're making... Um, 
don't know, when you're accepting the pain of the world, sort of, and you're accepting fear, then all of a sudden this peace comes over you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of felt from some of those songs, even though there were some that definitely were not too peaceful. But I get what you're saying, because this new record, <laughs> I don't think you were cleaning it up for the listener. Right. And I think it's like, whatever, it, it felt raw. It felt raw in terms of the lyrics and the delivery, but the music sounded really cool and different than your yeah. other two albums completely compared. I mean, not completely, but because I still instruments that are traditional yeah. instruments, yeah. but it, the feeling is completely different. So Yeah, well, I mean, it was happening in real time in the same way that, that the Syrian conflict is happening in real time. You know, we can't, we, we're not looking at it retrospectively like World War II. You know, it's it's happening right now. And does that affect you? Like, so when I wake up in the morning and have my breakfast, somebody else in Syria is waking up in the morning and having their breakfast in a very different situation. And um, as I woke up in the morning at the monastery, my situation was was different probably than many of the monks that were facilitating the retreat and the, maybe the people around me. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's sort of the... the the idea is that how can such small eyes see such enormous things? You know, we have these tiny little optical lenses, you know, attached to our heads. And, um, you know, are we seeing bigger when we look out? Are we seeing bigger when we look in? I mean, it's a Tolstoy idea of like, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves. So um, this project was more of a, of a looking in and finding that I'm made out of the same grit that, you know, Assad is made out of essentially because we're human, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. uh, and, and to discover that is terrifying, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, so fear not has its place for sure, but I wasn't, I was not in that place when I was writing these songs and just being totally honest about that. I think that's great, uh, that, yeah, I guess it's like three flavors. When this new album comes out, you'll have three different flavors of yeah. Cameron Blake. Yeah. But I like that you're talking, what I'm hearing is empathy and perspective. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the hardest things, I think, in modern culture in the United States is listening to people and actually further trying to put yourself in their shoes, so to speak, the old empathy. How do you, how, how would, how would it be if, if I had their experience instead of, well, what I think is when I was upset, I did this, which is advice giving and trying to like save somebody from or avoid their pain or avoid fully listening to what they're talking about. Uh, and I think we do that for many reasons. I'm not going to like name them all, but one of them is we, we may not want to feel that. <laughs> and so we yeah. may just want to help them and kind of stay a little distant from the vulnerability of that. And so, you know, like you're talking about, like somebody in Syria waking up and having breakfast, everyone's having, well, unless they're starving, having some food once a day or twice a day or whatever. People need to sleep. You know, they're going to bed. What what happens when this person goes to bed? What happens when this, what do they do at night, you know? Mm-hmm. And really kind of thinking about that is can be overwhelming because like, oh, we are small. But I do think we need perspective um, as humans to be able to treat other humans and animals and other creatures and whatever whatever you're dealing with with respect and dignity because otherwise it becomes a bit too much about what we're up to and how important we are and how i don't know how a little too self-focused i I think you need a little bit 
you need both. I mean, you got to figure out what your what yourself is doing, but we we have to balance that. I think at times. So I think uh, the good news about your album is that it can help people kind of reflect, uh, even if they don't understand the Syrian conflict, um, mm-hmm. because it's you know you're listening to an artist, you're bringing them into your world with the song, um, and then you're also bringing them into a bigger world, kind of a meta reflective world, and also drawing attention to current events that and that's another thing so the song has historical references but also a lot of current events would you mind kind of maybe telling us a little bit about um the historical reference of goya oh yeah um so i uh kind of got introduced to, to goya through a uh writer named dorothy day mm-hmm. who started the catholic worker movement and who i would say is, is sort of responsible for the American soup kitchen as we know it. Oh, wow. And um, so here's this little saintly woman, you know, with this wild past that had this major conversion to Catholicism. And uh, she keeps, you know, keeps referencing in her journals, Goya's my favorite artist, and I heard rumor that Goya, you know, hiked over the Pyrenees when he was in his 70s, and he was stone deaf and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, who is this Goya? And I looked into it, and I'm like, these are the most terrifying <laughs> the paintings I've ever seen. It's like monsters and, like, the most terrifying paintings I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, how is it that this little, like, saint of a, of a you know, woman um, whose entire life is to try to make it easier for people to do good, you know, you can sort of unpack that idea. Um, you know, this is, this is what she's doing in her spare time is studying Goya paintings, you know, so... I, I um, it was one of the books I brought to the monastery with me, and I felt like sort of as I, as I looked into it, um, I I found great comfort, and you know here's a guy sort of expressing his times, and then you know Napoleon was just you know ravaging Europe and Spain, and he's seeing this you know on his street corners as he's traveling and walking, and. Um, so he bought a house and he painted onto the plaster of this house with, you know, this very large room um, with like not a lot of windows. So it would have been dark. He painted these black paintings is what they're called. And he, w- he didn't intend anyone to see them. He just did it for his own, probably his own therapy. Um, and uh, and then later they, they somebody bought the house and restored them and they're all sitting in the Prado um, museum in Madrid right now. And so this, this song sort of picks up on, on a few of those paintings. Um, another aspect of the song is a painting of, of the Duchess of Alba. And the question is, you know, do they have an affair and everything? But what's so interesting is that they found this painting, I think, in, in her stash. Um, she never hung it, and it's literally, literally just her pointing to the ground. So it's very bizarre with this sort of landscape behind her, you know, with her poofy black hair standing very proud. She's pointing to the ground with one finger, and um, they did some more study, and eventually at, at, right there on the ground it says, only Goya. So I'm like, what an arrogant statement. You know, here the artist paints a self-portrait of this woman, her pointing down, and it says, only Goya. And everybody's like, okay, is this some sort of love affair sort of thing? Um so I, you know, those mysteries just sort of fascinated me. Um, so there's some lyrics sort of about that painting. He is the first one to actually paint 
um, on the subject of madness and like deep mental illness. Um, Yard with lunatics is one of his big paintings. So again, he 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 just was never cleaned it up, and the fact that he was the biggest portraitist in Spain, and he got away with this stuff. I mean, some of it was private, but. He also, you know, released Disasters of War, which, um, again, you know, has actual realistic, horrific stuff that was going on. It's just all right out there. And so a lot of people sort of attribute him being the first modernist artist, which has its sort of philosophical roots of um, just sort of uh, expressing the internal as well as the external in terms of what you're seeing with your eyes. Um yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's it's I am Goya. I am an archetype of style from hand to brush, from brush to figures, dark and wild. It's a crooked world, and it's all but been defiled. I could never love nobody else. I walk this tightrope between heaven, between hell. Get me a scapegoat. Saturn looks surprised as well at sacrifice, and it's where I draw the line. I can never love nobody else. Um, then the choruses, I hold my own, don't let it show. Oh, I wipe the floor with Noah's great rainbow. It's my philosophy, down to her jewelry. Don't make a fool of me. Don't make a fool of me. And then, um, yeah, and then further on in the bridge, the, the bit about the, the Duchess is, my subject points to the ground where it bears my name. I see what this is all about, and my hands will bear no shame. Give the illusion you're too busy. Give the illusion you're too busy. It's an illusion. It's delusion. This confusion. Babe, you know I've got the keys to this whole city. Yes, I am Goya. And then it, it just sort of ends with only Goya, only Goya, only Goya. Um, again, it just felt like this sort of empowerment of, uh, you know, is it healthy ego or is it distorted ego? Um, that's sort of the question to be asked. <laughs> I love that one live. I was just like, I, I love stories. I'm a huge, I love fiction and I've been reading fiction for years. I read a lot of psychology books now, but I was, and, and I, I just love like little short stories and it reminded me of a short story. I don't know what short story, but it just reminded yeah. the song itself. Cause I felt like it's just this sort of reflective vignette about this historical figure and what was going on. And it's, and then there's not really conclusions. It's like, you're talking about things that happened, but then there's also like, why, why did, why did he paint these paintings like he did and what was influencing him? And I liked that one live and it was musically interesting. So I'm excited for people to hear that one. Yeah. The song sort of starts out with this almost Spanish guitar lick, and then it comes into this really deep bass groove. Um, and there's tons of percussion. And often I like to sort of walk into the crowd um and act this one out it's oh really that fun. was the one yeah. you walked in the crowd yeah. on okay yeah i liked that so i i uh i want to definitely talk about at least three more of your songs but i want to talk a little bit about your background and maybe a little bit about you as the artist now that people have kind of heard you talk about your stories and uh i i'm just going to throw some comments out here and then i'm going to ask you about like your your origins sure uh, but when i <laughs> i was at the concert i was i was like I feel like this could be David Byrne's nephew that learned how to sing gospel music. That was like my comment to my friend Ben. <laughs> That's like a compliment. I'll take that one. So, um, 
It was not, you know, that you had, it wasn't like you sounded like David Byrne as much as the delivery was so emphatic that I was thinking, this person feels like they've been on the stage for 15, 20 years Mm -hmm. and is just telling us these stories in an interesting way. Versus I've seen a lot of bands, I've been in bands since 2000 is you know 20 years and i'm not in a band now but i write a lot of music and i know my weaknesses and i know my weaknesses on stage and i see a lot of other artists and they're writing these beautiful songs but when i see them sing them sometimes i feel like they're detached and they're kind of just like focusing on the way on uh the way they're singing or making the perfect pitch or you know something like that like perfecting yeah. it which is fine which is you know still beautiful but when i was when i was watching you sing you were delivering on pitch and like really well but it was like kind of like getting me getting the crowd into it which was, it was like i felt like i was being drawn in and maybe that's just because i can't afford tickets to the front row of david Byrne's show maybe right. or whoever <laughs> but um i felt you know because it was the venue was really awesome but i i, I thought that was really interesting how you like we're like personifying i suppose certain elements it seemed and just yeah. really emotional delivery and well, thank uh, you i was a stranger in a stranger's land in no position to leave i was a stranger in a stranger's land and then the queen bee sent a message to me she said i'll move you up my dog i'll move you up as far as i can see yes i'll move you up my dog I'll move you up if you start working for me. I have been making ticking honey to her. I have been working for free. I have been making ticking honey to her. And then the Queen Bee sent a message to me. She said, I'll move you up. My daughter, I'll move you up as far as eyes can see. Yes, I'll move you up. My daughter, I'll move you up if you'll do favors for me. You see that Maggie Magpie hanging around? You see her scratching our tree? You see that Maggie Magpie hanging around? Oh, you send her to the gates of St. Peter. I'll move you up. My daughter, I'll move you up as far as eyes can see. Yes, I'll move you up. My daughter. Said I'll move you up, my dog. I'll move you up as far as I can see. Yes, I'll move you up, my dog. I'll move you up to lead the colony.
based on that, you're welcome. Yeah, but based on that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your musical upbringing and and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a musician from the age of five. I I loved classical music, so my earliest memories were just sitting with my dad listening to Beethoven symphonies um, at a very young age, and um, my first sort of gift was a baton, so I brought it to show and tell, and um, you know, the teacher's like, well, other kids can play with the baton too, and I think I remember grabbing it out of one kid's hand and saying, you're doing it all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this, and I'm like waving around, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, And then it took me a few years to sort of settle in, and I settled into the violin, um, partly because I, you know, I did grow up here in Rockford um, in West Michigan, and they didn't ever have a strings program. So um, I think I wanted to be, I didn't want to play in a band because I loved classical music. So what's the most sort of outside of the, so pick, pick the violin up. And so I started quite late at 12 in terms of violin terms, but I worked really hard and um, eventually got some great teachers in West Michigan. Um, one that was a soloist that had moved here because her husband was a conductor of the symphony, David Lockington, and then um, ended up going pursuing it deeply and getting my master's at the Peabody Conservatory of Music. Um, and then I did I played I I did do some theater and I did sort of play in, in pits, theater pits and all of that as a as a kid. Um, but in grad school I had a really terrible teacher and um, it, it sort of wrecked me. It was like a little bit like that movie Whiplash, but not quite that bad. Oh my. Um, but it was sort of the mental went physical and then I developed really bad techniques. So I, I huffed through my my master's degree. I mean, I got, I by a miracle, played a good recital and had, you know, switched teachers at that point, but the damage was done and I didn't enjoy it and it felt like it was um, just, everything was very tense. And so at that moment, I I heard about Dylan's song. I saw the video of him in the 70, mid-70s tour with all this white face paint on I'm like, how is this guy speaking more truth with a mask on? Um, and it compelled me. I'm like, I think I could do that. So I started teaching myself how to play the piano and the guitar and formed a band with a bunch of my conservatory friends who could play wild stuff. And um, we ran up and down the East Coast, and that's sort of how the songwriting thing happened. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I met my wife, who's also from Michigan. and um, You, you met her where? Uh, in Baltimore. So you were living in Baltimore. I was okay. living in Baltimore. So I stayed there for, I got my, it took me two years to get my master's and I stayed another five years. Okay. So I met her in there because she's a musician as well. She's a cellist and a workshop uh, leader. And uh, Jill from Michigan, you know, so we're like, we want to come back and have kids and have grandma and grandpa in the backyard. So then moved back here. And, um, and then that's when I'm like, I don't have a band anymore. What am I going to do? So then I dug deeper and did did the alone on the world stage record which is literally just voice and guitar and that's it and voice and piano on two songs and there's no extra instrumentation and so that was an incredible project just how do i play and how do i how do i make this work and not bore everybody to tears for an hour you know with just me on a record um and then i went from that and then did fear not which was super orchestrated and, and sort of got my um Fingers in the City, you know, working with 50 musicians, gospel singers, and um, and string players. And then um, after that, um, I sort of, I'm like, I want a band again. So that's where the new project has taken me, where I formed a regular rock band setup and then brought in some, you know, the gospel singers from the past record and 
some other voices, but in general, it's this is a band record, and we've been developing our, our live show, and uh, yeah, so there's just been so many different, from classical to whatever it is, a lot of different permutations, you know, and I love music from from every, you know, every corner of the world, so I've never sort of felt, I, felt, I always felt like a little bit of a, you know, like, am I even really a classical musician? It's kind of like the story of when Bob Dylan um, met Thelonious Monk, and mm-hmm. he, he walked up to him, and he's just like, Thelonious says, what do you do? He's like, I'm a folk musician, and Thelonious just sort of looks away, and he says, well, we're all folk musicians, you uh. know? It's yeah. kind of like we're all drawing from the music of the people, essentially. Um, it's the same four chords, you know, mm-hmm. it's just how you sort of use them. And you're either connecting, Beethoven connects, you know, with peasant songs. You're either connecting with the audience and the people or you're not. Or it's to- so heady that it doesn't connect, and I guess that's cool. But um, So I, I view myself, no matter what I'm doing, very rooted in sort of the folk tradition in, in, in its purest form, not necessarily like acoustic guitar, but folk music as sort of music for the people, so to speak, Ooh. you know? Yeah. I, I was going to say music for the people. That's actually a really good definition. I'm sure that that one, I'm sure that, you know, that's, I've heard people maybe say that, but I feel like that's what you're doing. I, I because I felt it was so, when I was at the concert, it was just so many different kind of permutations, like you said, of style. And then you had the gospel singers come up, which was just yeah. powerful. Yeah. I mean, you already had the whole band, which was really cool because you have two, two percussionists. Yeah, and yeah. well, and and the band. I mean, they all they all come from a jazz background. Oh. If I could be anything, I'd be a jazz musician because okay. they can read and they can they listen and they can improvise and. The classical musicians, you know, want music in front of you. You know, is this is this a short staccato or a long staccato? You know, like want to debate all these nuances. The jazz are just like, do you feel it or not? You know, mm-hmm. and so it's been a joy working with these guys because it's just, uh, yeah, brought me to places that I I felt liberated. Yeah. Oh, that's that's another good word because I saw, when I was seeing you on stage, I didn't. I I mean, you weren't really playing the guitar as much. You were more singing. I mean, you played piano and guitar in a few songs, but right. it was more like you were singing. So the liberation. That's a, that's a mm-hmm. good one because the band was just. I I mean, that's why I thought you were a touring artist from somewhere else because the band was just so good. Uh, and and I'm not trying to judge Michigan, but I grew up in Michigan and then I left the state for 14 years and I live out of state part of the year and I just wasn't used to that quality except mm-hmm. when I went to Michigan State jazz concerts or you know the the classical band there or touring artists and the occasional random gem from right. the state there's a lot of really good musicians from the state um but I guess it was just different when I lived in Chicago or uh you know I also um you know, spent time in New York with my friends and we you go to, you know, all these different jazz clubs and rock venues and it's just like this cavalcade of musicians just yeah. everywhere where in Michigan, you know, there's wonderful musicians from the state and plenty of grassroots musicians everywhere, which is really awesome. I don't know if people know that, but I, I guess I just wasn't used to what I felt was like, this is something that could be on stage at, you know, this venue in chicago and this didn't basically didn't sound like a local band that was learning how to play it's oh, yeah, no, i appreciate you know. that i mean i i think that you know having sort of cut my teeth and on the east coast um yeah you you know 
I know I, I hate the fact that that music has this sort of competitive element to it. I think it's oh, yeah. really, um, you know, the, the sort of rate and compare. Um, but yeah, I, I, I also know that, you know, to sort of get a gig you have to, uh, on the East coast, it's sort of a different ball game. I think the strategy here, because I have, you know, I have a family and I have full-time work is to play less, but then, so I, you know, I probably only play four to six times a year, but then make them really important and meaningful and beautiful and to only take on things that really, you know, excite me and that I can really pour into. And, and it also helps to, it makes it easier to bring a crowd. So I think, I think just not oversaturating yourself, not sort of gigging out to the point of losing, you know, where you just, it does become a, a technique, um, I've I've been able to stay energized because I haven't gone beyond my capacity. That's great, and I'm I'm glad you're recording it all. So yeah, yeah. Um, I know that this is I'm a musician, so I know that or hobbyist musician, let's put it that way. But so what I meant was with recording music, there's always moving due dates um, due to the creative process. But it sounds like you're working on this new album, which is called Walking Into the Black. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Walking Into the Black. My daughter, my six-year-old, named it. Oh, really? We were back and forth. She's like, I want it to be only Goya. I'm like, "Ah, nobody's going to know what that is, and it's fine. I mean, it's the title, and we went back and forth, and then she just sort of blurted out that title. I'm like, it works for me. That's good. So I'm curious, um, do you have a three-month window that we can know when it's arriving? Or should we you know, I, check your website? To be completely honest, I have more fundraising to do. So we're oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm about 60% there okay. in terms of... But, I mean, I yeah, I have like three or four songs more to, to mix. They're, they've all been recorded. It's all in the can. I mean, it's all okay. just, uh, um, you know, more songs to mix and then, yeah, just coming up with the, with the extra. So the mastering paypal me no i was kidding hey, but well, yeah no uh, i mean but yeah that's that's sort of the that's the that's that's a, re- a reality in and of itself well uh, you know there are artists uh artist supporters that listen to this podcast so you can check out cameron blake's music on yeah, your website yeah, which yeah, i'll put out there it. or on spotify every little bit helps but mm-hmm. that way you can buy some albums or whatever or donate um well i'm excited for the album to come out because i think i i you know the mu- the music the cool thing about the technology is that everybody's band even if you're you know recorded something in your garage in Tennessee with your buddies from high school can be on Spotify or iTunes or whatever but i'm i'm curious about um are you going to actually when let's just say this out when the album comes out and you finish it or whatever sometime this year hopefully um would you are you actually going to promote it uh locally or nationally or send out press kits to you know it sounds like something that could be on you know like all songs considered or something like that are yeah, you thinking I'm, about sending it out i mean with fear not with the last two projects i hired a pr firm oh okay i don't think that's in the, the cards for this one um again it's it's a sort of financial restrictions i mean fear not was also released on a um uh, record label in the Netherlands. Oh, okay. And so they sort of paid for all the distribution and all of that, which is which is great. I mean, they printed copies and it's sitting in stores over there. I guess they still listen to CDs in the Netherlands, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like CDs. I'm I'm sad about yeah. the departure. I mean, I just really well, I I think my dream is to get it on vinyl. I mean, so my wife and I, you know, we haven't had a television for ten years. Like I haven't had a television in my home for fifteen, and we've been married for eight. So. um 
However, we have a, a record player in our bedroom and in our main room, and our, even our girls have a little Fisher Price record player that can actually play real, you know, little forty-fives, you know, mm-hmm. and um, or thirty-threes. That I don't know, but yeah, the yeah. small little guys. You yeah, know, yeah, the forty-fives are the little ones, and the thirty-three and a half are the big ones. Right, right, yeah, yeah the thirty-three, and um, so that's sort of like our main, you know, point of of entertainment. So I just. Um, that's that's sort of the big dream of mine but in terms of of promotion um i don't there's no like there's just i haven't yet figured out what that means you know it's sort of a necessary evil like what takes off what doesn't Mm -hmm. um i feel like touring is is the best way for any artist to sort of break out and i haven't had i haven't had that opportunity with my my life and schedule it's always been about sort of the writing and the release of, of these records and then playing wherever I am. And so I've, I think I probably, you know, I'm one of these artists that's just been a little bit more chill about it. So maybe I am the, maybe I'm more the Goya type that is like, leave it in my, leave it in the room. And it's not, you know, meant for this mass consumption, but it's meant for the people around me in my life and those that hear it or are meant to hear it you know and just sort of leave it up i mean the song how dare you is taken straight out of the greta thunberg um speech that she gave to the u.n council you know the really famous sort of yes gold mine speech and yes. so if greta you know i'll tag greta and if she wants to share it out then it'll go huge i was about to be say great. <laughs> uh, i was about to say i think you should email it to her if i can get a direct yeah. email address and greenpeace yeah. yeah. uh I'm a big fan of Greenpeace, but I was, that's, it's interesting because we did not have a plan for this interview, but I was literally about to ask you, cause I want to talk about oh, a few more of the yeah, songs. We're, we're synced up. Right? Uh, yeah, we're in the right groove because I want to talk about the new album and I'm going to actually play How Dare You on the podcast. Sweet. Yeah, you see me with that look in your eyes And it's all just a game that I 
I don't wanna play It's all a foolish story, waste of my time Did you tell us what you saw? Did you tell us what you saw? When you were climbing up the walls Looking in Pandora's box When you were shaking your fists at the listeners just heard how dare you and i uh loved this song i you know people i love that what she did what she's done i um i feel like she's speaking hard truths and i don't mind if people don't completely agree with her you know because that's their prerogative but you if you really listen to her you at least have to partially agree with her i completely agree with her personally but I felt that she called out uh, at the United Nations uh, the values discrepancy. Mm. I, I don't think there's an argument about the science. I think the science is clear and it's obvious. And if you don't believe that, you can really look at the studies, multiple, multiple, multiple studies. Um, and, you know, scientists aren't gods, so they don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they do know <laughs> what the trends are. And the trends are warmer. And that means extreme shifts in weather and different weird stuff happening but um so greta what i thought my favorite part of her speech was the part where she talked about you're giving us fantasies of unlimited economic growth Hmm. and fairy tales i think she called them fairy tales of unlimited you talk about this growth and the, the stock market and all these things but you don't realize these are all dependent on people the planet and the atmosphere 
and you're pretending that we can just do this forever mm. instead of looking at maybe different ways to have create energy or different ways to distribute goods because we we need goods we need energy we need food um, but can we look at this a little different instead of grinding the same system doubling down in the same system i felt like she was saying that and then further i mean you can comment on this part but sure. the chorus of the song how dare you mm-hmm. um do you want to comment a little bit on, on what's what, what yeah the what's song so about? interesting about this the speech um was the the premise that if you don't act then you would be evil and i refuse to believe you are evil was essentially what she said oh yes and i thought like there was such such power in that because in a sense she's like dignifying all of these people oh, and yes. she's not saying you know you're all terrible people that are going to rot in hell because you haven't done that. It's literally like there's a complacency here and um, but but then she's also using this, this, this language of how dare you be complacent and um, but then she's very clear about why we are complacent because of you know the the way the system of the world works with the economy and all this sorts of stuff and again it goes back to that sort of anesthetizing you know anesthetizing theme and that that's sort of what's led to this complacency so I've, i almost view her as like this sort of like mythical like joan of arc type prophet messenger person in this trapped in this 14 15 year old you know it's like yeah. it's it's intense and you know she's not a scientist um where where did this message come from? Um, you know, her having her feet on the street, but then also being this, you know, um, dreamer and idealist and philosopher herself. Um, you know, so I, uh, so the song, you know, I originally titled it Voices because it sort of talks about the voices that are, that are crushed, the voice, the loudest voices sort of, of winning. And so constantly sort of going through that. And then literally the the chorus is taken right right out of her uh out of her speech. It's not on this version. Oh, but um, okay. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's basically it. how dare you, how dare you? Does it hurt? Does it thrill? Does it scare you? I shouldn't be here, no, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be here, but I am, and that's your failure. Oh yeah. How dare you? It's just so powerful and and I love how, yeah, she humanized, instead of just pointing at the shadow and projecting evil onto, you know, the complicated situation of world leaders trying to figure out policies to reduce carbon emissions or find different ways of doing things, she's saying, yeah, like, I ref- she's, I can't re- well, you can maybe read the lyric that says something about, you know, she, uh, how she, she kind of humanizes it a little bit, uh, humanizes them and doesn't just point the finger. She's pointing the finger at behavior. Yeah. And... And I feel that that's kind of the work that we try to do in therapy is stop taking sides and being defensive with your relationship or your job or the world or what you perceive other people or what you perceive you're missing out on or even your own symptoms or even your own internal stuff you're going through. Start to try to look at it with different eyes and bring it into the light um, a little bit and, and look at it differently and see how the light shines on it and then when you can start putting down your defenses and your fears and your your expectations and different things you will actually come to a new conclusion and that's Mm. transformation and that's rebirth and you know we're always going through a cycle of dying and rebirth and i think greta warns of a larger cycle 
of mm. of um, you know people dying and animals dying at greater rates uh, in various strange uh, you know patterns due to different climate issues um, and you know it's there's so many it's so complicated to even get your mind around a partial you know I think that it's easier just to say well um, well we don't have proof of that because I live in you know northern Michigan and it's cold you know right. or whatever <laughs> and, yeah. and, and instead of looking at you know the complexity of it and it's also even let's just say you believe in or believe in that you accept the science I suppose of what we see the trends to be how do you then you feel might be feel disempowered well what am I supposed to do recycle is that going to fix it Right. You know, yeah. me recycling, uh, um, uh, maybe getting a hybrid. Oh, wait, where'd they get the batteries from? You know, or should I take the bus? Or, you know, what what yeah. should I do? Is that going to make an impact? Or is it what most people would say on the fight on the environmental side, which is the individual human hardly has an impact. It's, it is the big players. It is the big companies. It is the big mm. government. It is policy. That's the only way to shift it fast. Uh, and and that feels disempowering because if you've ever tried to fight for a bill to get passed locally, even <laughs> how difficult that can be. Yeah. So imagine hundreds of countries' policies changing and then having to put in laws and you know it's a complicated, scary thing. So I'm glad you wrote about it. Is what I'm trying to say because I don't really have an answer for. <laughs> what, yeah, what's and I going wrote on. about it without being an expert on any of it i think i just wrote about it in a really sort of intuitive way because i was i was captured by that speech i mean i think something that that has haunted me if you want to get more ground level is back in in 2016 or 2015 uh, i remember bernie sanders being on one of the debates and they asked him you know sort of what is the main um thing that would cause greater terrorism and his answer was so strange to me at that time, and it really struck me, and it stayed with me. He just said, he said, climate change, global warming, sort of the human cost of suddenly, I, I guess what he was saying is that suddenly, like, you know, resources get low, groups of people come together, then there's a power gap, and then all of a sudden a terrorist group would sort of maybe come out of that um, fighting over land that's that's you know usable and all this sort of stuff and um, I remember saying oh you know you had one you know people on the left saying like this is the most brilliant statement ever I remember reading like an article about that one little statement and you have other people being like what is he talking about he's so out of touch we need you know this is you know ISIS is what you know we need right. to be talking about and um, and then here we are you know four years later or whatever and um you know and I, I i just i guess i just see sort of greta's work that that human human work is um yeah it's going to become very real and we'll know yeah that's true there's there's uh only time well well i guess time and perspective will will uh change people's minds maybe yeah. or whatever and again i have a bit more of a stance on that than you as the artist i feel like you were just trying to capture the emotion and the, the story absolutely and the humanism. Yeah. so i you know my listeners may not love my stance but that's okay i still like you listeners so listen to cameron's <laughs> song it's gonna be awesome um 
I wanted to lighten the mood slightly, so that yeah, was a for weird sure. joke. Yeah. Oh, you but think I'm, this is dark? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was thinking about the Carcass of the Bird song. Yeah. And I see that as a little bit of a lighthearted song. Oh, yeah. This is yeah, and, and hilarious. Know, you tell us a little bit about that song. I, I found that song deeply entertaining and also moving. Yeah. Um, so my, my buddy, uh, Gilles, is is Portuguese, and he ended up marrying a a gal who's uh, whose family's uh, who has Syrian roots, but then also is you know straight out of Pittsburgh, and actually went to Mister Rogers Donut Shop every Saturday morning as a kid, and hmm. ran into Mister Rogers at in Pittsburgh, every, really? which is just an aside. Yeah, um, just an incredible family. So he's got you know um, he's a he's a guitar player. She's a violinist, and. We were, uh, they, they came in to do a project, a music project with kids, uh, with my wife, and, and we were all in, in Baltimore doing this project, and we're sitting around a table, and I had cooked, um, had, had baked a, a whole chicken, and we had eaten it, and I was about to take away the, the carcass of the chicken, and he's like, whoa, 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 there's a lot of good food in there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, stop, stop. So he, like, proceeds to start tearing apart this chicken and breaking the bones and sucking and teaching us how to like basically extract an incredible amount of like what he considers to be the goods of this chicken out of the bones and he started explaining how every good portuguese mother is like it's terrible to waste any bit of food and i don't know the history of of that maybe you have a portuguese listener that can help us out with that but, I've um, had a few downloads from Portugal, so if you're oh, listening, yeah, awesome. if you're Fantastic. listening to this, please send us an email. So he's like, you know, tearing apart this, you know, sucking out all the marrow of the boat, you know, and and teaching us how to do this. And so I, I let it sit, and I'm just like, man, that would be a really good blues concept, like a blues song, like the carcass of the bird, like sort of suck the marrow out of life, like the sort of carpe diem, like live life to the fullest get every single last drop of it sort of you know exaltation like the walt whitman sort of like i sing the body electric sort of idea of just uh um so i, I just wrote sort of a spoofy blues inspired song about eating the carcass of a chicken <laughs> yeah i mean i would say you know this is definitely uh not a um go to open mic night and read the poem type type yeah, lyric yeah, yeah. but i love the ending where you give the recommendation for like what you should do about life uh, is that okay if we read that or you feel well, yeah i can well, read it yeah why don't you, you read it i'm gonna read this It'd one be because, an honor right okay so um where'd it go here oh yeah king solomon said drink and feast till the end there are stupid regrets and there is useless knowledge can I give you some advice? Go home and make love to your wife. Bet you'll understand like the carcass. Or, oh, wait. Bet you'll be undisturbed like the carcass <laughs> right. of the bird. <laughs> right. So, yeah, you go home and make love to your wife. Bet you'll be undisturbed like you're, you're sleeping and you're happy. And, right. Um, it was just interesting. I, I feel like this song is like, like a, yeah, like a Carpe Diem song, but almost like a Dada song a little bit because it's just it's such a weird niche subject, and that it just stuck in my brain how he's he keeps saying, "Don't waste the carcass of the bird, don't waste the carcass of the bird," and you're you're saying that in the song, um, and uh, we're gonna party till we die, we're gonna party till we die, Carpe Diem in the rain in the desert of the night. It was just like really cool, and I I yeah. feel like yeah, it's not like this is not 
open mic night poetry but it w- with the music i think people will really like it because it's it's and if they get to see you live um you know uh that would be great because of the just the visual so i'm excited for for the preview of the listeners on that so yeah the interesting it. thing about the song too is I, I sort of stole a little bit of i can't i can never remember the name he's a super famous jazz bass player and i, I his name always escapes me but he has a he has a song called Eat That Chicken. And he's like in the whole song is like Eat that chicken, da 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 eat that chicken, da 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 eat that chicken. And it just has this incredible energy and it's like they're all just sort of getting high and jamming out sort of thing. Um you guys can look it up and I'm embarrassed that I don't I, I can <laughs> I just his name does not stick in my head. I've like listen to loads of his stuff like jazz bass player eat that chicken check it out um so i i did i was inspired a little bit by that tune i love it Something's dying in the vineyard, I can smell it. We're plowing the potter's fields, turning over every stone. They're plowing the potter's fields, angel blowing on a gold trombone. Oh, brother, oh, sister, take cover. The sky is falling down. Oh, brother, oh, sister. And the birds are flurrying away Hear a word from the black Lucifer's laughing Paparazzi photographing It's the dawn of the judgment day Oh, sister, take cover. 
So, yeah, I feel like we're getting close to wrapping, but I wanted to I wanted to maybe just preview because I don't want to give the whole album away. I mean, how many songs are on this album? Like this one has has 11. We might yeah, 11, 11. So we previewed some of them and I I've been definitely going heavy on the existential philosophical ones. Um but you know what? I, it's there, so I'm going for it. And I wanted to... I don't, we don't have to read the lyrics to this one, but I was curious if you could tell us about 6 minutes, 20 seconds. Oof. Um, well, I actually played that one last night, and because just last week was the two-year... I, I don't want to say anniversary. That, that feels weird, because it's like... The date. The two Yeah, two years ago that the, uh, the school shooting in Parkland happened which sort of was the first time where I, I saw groups of people sort of waking up to um, these school shootings you know another another really light subject um, <laughs> and so uh, again I was I was I looked to the voices so before we had Greta Thunberg and then with in this case we had um, Emma Gonzalez who you know became this sort of incredible spokesperson um, for the marches that, that soon followed. And um, part of her speech um, is literally she's sort of talking through and then she she stops and then just goes completely mute for like however many seconds. And then she continues on and says, you know, the amount of time since I got up here and started speaking or something like that has been the amount of time it took this gunman to, to walk through the school and to drastically alter the lives and the, you know, tear apart families of however many people. I, I think it was in the twenties, if I remember 20, mm-hmm. 21. Or I'm something not sure, like but that. it was a lot. Um, and, uh, and that happened to be six minutes, 20 seconds. And, um, so that was sort of the impetus for the song, but I also thought, you know, this is a time, um, in the same way that there's there's a, a, a beautiful, I think, Joan Baez song about um, sort of Obama crying, mm-hmm. said the president cried or something after the, the shooting in the basement um, in that um, in, in the black church down south. Oh, yes, yes, in South um, Carolina. Yeah, there's a yeah. beautiful song sort of written about that moment. Again, taken from a very different, different angle. Um, I felt like there needed to be a song about about this experience, too. So I sort of take you into both the life of Emma Gonzalez as I um, as I sort of see it and the complications and the and of being a teenager in the midst of that. I also take it into just sort of setting the scene of Florida and being out in the heat, you know, standing out after uh, um, after this event happened, and then I I sort of take you into the amount of time you know that this sort of thing took with with some very like specific details and then also sort of an openness to the story and not sort of filling in every single detail because again how can we it's complicated you know again i loved it because i didn't feel that you were making any political statement at all but just bringing us into a story to let the listener reflect upon it mm-hmm. and it's a real story and it's a real true thing that happened and mm-hmm. it's just i think sometimes you hear so many things in the news 
it starts to sound almost it's easy to detach and disconnect and dissociate your own feelings from that mm. uh, because again it's only recently that we have all the news on our phone now not just waiting till 6 p.m to watch the news or getting the paper from the store at eight in the morning um, so it can be overwhelming and i think I think sometimes that can cause paralysis of what do, what do, what am I supposed to do? And, and also I'm scared to go out or, you know, how am I reflecting on this um, in multiple ways? And it can cause confusion. I think we're in a confusing time, uh, more information than ever and more stories than ever flooding, but um, pe- little time to reflect and make sense of it. And few uh, and disagreements about guidance. And so I felt that this song was a guide to just listening to the story and reflecting on it. And it's very powerful and very you know, disturbing in a way. But I, I, you know, I felt slightly disturbed hearing it. But I also yeah. felt like I feel like I needed to hear that because it opened my heart to thinking about this and not thinking about it from a pro or anti sentiment of whatever. Sure. It was just about her story and what, you know, what happened and, and, how would I, how would I feel if that, you know, happened to people I knew or to me, you know? Yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah. And having, having kids changes everything too. Um, I mean, I just, I just sort of think about myself in high school or middle school. I mean, the Greta's and the Emma's and, and I mean, how do you even have the, it's like, it's like, you, you know, you can be 98 years old and not be emotionally mature. Oh Yeah. And you can be 14, 15 and be emotionally mature. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, just because they have a platform and they have a podium and, and that they can, you know, a great public speakers or whatever that that they are. But to be able to articulate a moment um, requires an amount of emotional maturity, you know. And I think that that's what I respect about those two women and why their voices are so powerful. And... Um, yeah, so I I mean in in some ways, yeah, I think that this song is sort of a just sort of an uh, an ode or an, a nod to to Emma's voice, but I also tried to try to try to take you in to that experience, which I didn't experience. And so I think that that's again I view, you know, it's like Leonard Leonard Cohen is like if I knew where the great songs came from i'd go there more often you know it's like if i i feel like they're gifts and they come roaring into my head and if i can catch them great a lot of them go right past and i don't you know if my phone's right there to sing you know when i'm taking a whiz or something like if my phone's right there like i'll catch it if but there's lots that have gone but i'm so grateful for those times when they when they come and i needed to be in that place of of hurt and of silent monastery to have enough uh, silence to and focus to catch them, and so yeah, these are the stories that I was, I guess, was buried in my subconscious mind and came out. Well, I'm glad that you are sharing them with the world, and I'm excited to release the podcast. People can hear the back catalog, but I'm letting you, the audience, know you've got to stay tuned for the new album because it is something else it's very different than the other two so i think you'll really enjoy it and um not yeah i mean the songs are heavy but in terms of lyrics but i think you'll enjoy the music so i mean if you were just not if you were just not paying attention to to the lyrics you actually um you know you can 
you can uh you don't have to be a philosopher to listen to this stuff it's it's for anyone i think um and i think it will end i don't think it's all just absolute we we made it probably sound like it's just 100 percent despair but <laughs> yeah we're talking about there's other positive stuff. but there's well it's yeah. not even po- i mean well, whatever you the, call the, it, yeah. the thing is is that there's a lot of groove to this record all right and so go. in the same way that like you know you, you look at the lyrics of any metal song and it's all like despair but then you listen to it and you're like ramped up and you you feel energized and you feel empowered mm-hmm. listening to it and um yeah they're not all like slow depressing like cry your eyes out ballad in fact there's like lots of uh yeah lots of groove i was gonna say i, I don't even is there a ballad on this there may be one ballad on i think this. yeah six minutes 20 seconds that's the might only ballad it might be the only sort of ballad the rest yeah. of them that i heard were really upbeat and exciting and also henny yeah. penny was fun i think i'll play yeah. that one on this podcast yeah very yeah. fun existential and in- inspirational yeah excitement i felt like in that song so um yeah i i definitely you know picked a few of my my favorites but i guess that shows where i'm coming from um but i think that there's something for everybody on this album and so uh family friendly and uh you know, for all ages. I didn't hear any F words or anything. No, nope. <laughs> no. And stories, and, and, and it's very entertaining. So um, I guess just as a, a question, I ask a lot of people, so plans are funny, you know, um, I plans and goals, but do you, um, do you have any plans or goals for your music going forward? That's a great, great question, because I don't know if I do. I think I, I just... Um just been trying to be in the moment you know i have little like tiny goals you know wanting to play frederick Meyer gardens this summer which is a beautiful open large venue in, in town i opened there as a soloist but i want to go back and bring the band um and then yeah just sort of releasing this record and feeling feeling like i'm i'm releasing in a way that isn't sort of you know selling my prostituting myself but is is a way that feels good to me and just hopefully having it connect i mean i've always just sort of been like throw it out there and see what happens and so if the opportunity presents itself and it's something that works in the life of my family then i'll take it you know but i don't have any um i think that i think the ambition for me has always been just in how do i keep putting out a record every other year there's enough ambition in just sort of pulling off this particular music which is quite demanding physically spiritually performance um uh even just people's calendars um and that that's i always feel like you know very drained just by that process and so um yeah that the ambition sort of starts and ends there and then once that's done fun things come along and i i take them or i or i don't and um thankfully i you know have 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 a full-time job myself that you know keeps me involved in music a full-time family and um so the rest is just sort of icing and uh but yeah i mean i would love for people to gravitate towards this and i would love to uh you know have a voice um in whatever capacity that makes itself known well i think that's a great summary (laughs) so i uh i love that and i think that uh i hear a lot of humbleness um you know coming out of you and and uh of gratefulness uh, and just also the mindfulness of being present. And I feel like that's obvious in your songs because you're paying attention to details and you're seeing, you know, a, they're seeing a, 
a more vivid color. At least you're presenting that to us. So I'm assuming you're seeing it because otherwise you couldn't present it to the to the listener. So I think that's great. Um, I think it sounds like you're in a great spot here to keep making albums. So I hope you keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I I think that's a wonderful goal to just kind of go with what happens Mm -hmm. and uh i mean that's really all we can do anyway that's why i was you know i ask about future plans and when you make plans god laughs and all that you know Mm -hmm. and and that's been my you know i i love making goals but i always every goal i make takes a a very sharp turn and twist and explosion of some type you know on the way there which is the fun part of taking a risk and putting an album out there and taking a risk and um trying something new so uh, i think it fits very well with um what we're trying to talk about on this podcast and i really think it's you've been an excellent guest and i'm excited for all the uh, listeners to head to your website head to spotify i'll put those links in there and uh, enjoy the enjoy the show and uh and the songs Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me. This has been a real joy. Absolutely. Cool. The break room's finally empty. Put your feet up and get some rest. Let your hair down slow and gently. Feel it fall upon your chest. For you've tried on every uniform. For the one that fits the best. You don't recognize yourself at all Don't know how to cry yourself to sleep, my love You don't know how to stand when you are weak And you can't pretend the loneliness is gone so you take a seat beneath your wailing wall Everybody And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If you're enjoying it, please share it with people you know. I would surely appreciate it. You can also subscribe or leave me a rating on iTunes Podcast. That would be very helpful. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week. If you are looking for an Emdria consultant, I am now an Emdria consultant in training and can provide you 15 of the 20 hours needed to become Emdria certified in EMDR therapy. I'm going to be starting Emdria consultation groups both online and in person in March of 2020. You can check out details by clicking in the show notes or checking out counselingsupervisorgr.com, healthforlifegr.com, or email me at paulk at healthforlifegr.com. So I take a seat beneath my wailing wall, wailing wall, wailing wall, where God and man can speak. private altars when you can't seem to make it on your own the 
Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association needs your help. They are working to increase the availability of quality mental health services statewide, working on increasing education to the public and promoting best practices among clinicians. They are also working to keep licensed professional counselors and other mental health professionals accessible by the public. If you want to know more about what's going on in Michigan, check out episode 32 and 33 of The Intentional Clinician. You can donate by going to the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association's website or join if you are a counselor. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guest, and while these are based upon the literature he has read and his experience in the field, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area at Health for Life Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com or give us a call at 616-200-4433. Thanks so much for listening. When you can seem to make it on your own Oh, the stars They look like pinholes in the sky Threading light to the black veil of the night Where Orion kneels on bending knee And the Magi feel eternity When the withered hand and the clenching teeth are opened We are broken foil in need of light to shine We are broken for a sacred gift inside We are broken for the honeymoon Broken for the inner room We are broken for that open wound to buy Fear not Fear not Fear not For I See me when I hid behind my shame Did you see me when the garden was in flame? 
Did you see me slipping through your hands? Did you see me leave the promised land? Did you see me when it got carried away? You were brave today to walk out in your skin. You were brave today to find the strength within. You were brave to do the asking. You were brave to turn your mask in. You were brave to stay and take it all the chin. And it is not without some pain that we are born. It is not without some cracks that we are torn. It is not without some feeling. It is not without some healing. It is not without some beauty we're adored. You are open for the need of light to shine. You are open for that sacred gift inside. I saw myself 
saw the crack pipe And I saw the white flame And I saw the blind eye I saw the cheap hide I saw the glass break And I saw the heartache I saw the jailbait And I saw the heat wave I saw the dealers And I saw the corner yeah, I saw Miranda I saw her torn up I saw the mugshot And I saw the cell I saw the young car I saw myself These days are strangers I have never seen Stranger days These days are strangers I have never seen Stranger days I saw the cross and I saw the cake I saw the mountain I saw the cage bird and I see my neighbor I see you